We are in the middle of a six-week series through various psalms, and I want to just give you a brief review as we begin, remind you that the psalms is the prayer book or the song book for the people of God. And as we study these psalms, it's important for us to pay attention to the different kinds of songs that God has given to his people. I've mentioned the last two weeks that in, in very broad terms, we can divide the psalms into the big three, songs of praise, songs of lament, and songs of thanksgiving. And those songs of, of praise we have seen as songs of orientation or happy songs with no trouble in view. Those songs of lament we have seen as songs of disorientation. They are sad songs with trouble in view. And then songs of thanksgiving we have seen as songs of reorientation. So they're happy songs, but they also have trouble in view, and, and they're giving thanks to God for deliverance from that trouble in the recent past. So today, we turn to that middle section, the songs of lament. We started our series with two songs of praise, Psalm 100, Psalm 103. Today, we move on to two weeks on the lament, and then, Lord willing, we'll finish our series with two weeks on thanksgiving. But these psalms of lament are songs of mourning, songs of sorrow, and they are gifts, gifts from God to his people. He knows our need. And he meets us in our need. And so one way that we can think about them, even just to begin, is that they are gifts from God. And I think it would help us to remember that every Sunday, I, I think it would be safe to assume that every Sunday, someone in our church family is in a season of lament. They may be here right now. Or they may not be here physically present, and, and maybe the season of lament is a big reason for that. They might not have the strength to join us in person. So it's helpful for us to remember that, and to know that these psalms are gifts from God to help us in those times. And even if today's not a season of lament for you, we can learn how to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ during those times. And also prepare ourselves for when those times come. Now, none of us needed to learn how to cry. You might not remember it, but the first sound that you made when you left the warm and safe home of your mother's womb was a loud cry. It was a wail of protest. So for all of us, life begins with tears. It's really part of what it means to be human. So to cry is human. You might not have been taught that growing up when I remember when my I don't remember this event and happened many many years ago but when my when my mother's brother died they were told don't cry don't cry and maybe that's how you were taught to deal with pain and sorrow to not show it to hide it to stuff it inside but to cry is human it's okay to cry sometimes we need to cry it's natural, but lament is different. The practice of lament, the kind that's biblical, that's honest, that's redemptive, it's not as natural for us. We have to learn how to pray in this way. And so one way to think of lament is to think of it like this. It's the honest cry of a hurting heart that's wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. So let me say that again. Lament is the honest cry of a 
hurting heart that is wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. A lot of what I've learned about lament has come from this book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I would commend it to you. And, and just like you might remember, several weeks ago I preached a sermon on fasting. And I said, uh, you know, I'm not preaching this from a place of expertise. In fact, it really was from a place of weakness. That, that fasting was not really a regular part of my life. I didn't know a lot about it, but I, I wanted to learn more about this habit and develop it. And the same is true of lament. I, I don't come to you this morning uh, as an expert on lament. It's something that, again, I need to learn to grow in and to practice myself. But lament is also, it's not a one-time event in the life of a believer. It's not like, oh, there, there's going to be a lament in my life, and if I could just do it once, and then I'll be done with it. That's not how it works. It is actually a repeated pattern, a regular part of the life of the believer. In fact, nearly one-third of the psalms are psalms of lament. Think about that. Nearly 50 psalms, a third of the songbook, our songs of lament. Another simple definition for lament is this. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. If you can remember that, it'll be a great start to learning what lament is. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. And typically, a lament asks two questions. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? And if you love me, why is this happening? Where are you, God? If you love me, why is this happening? And lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. The anguish behind those two questions. Lament is how we bring that to our God. Without learning how to lament, we won't know how to process our pain. And then silence and bitterness and even anger can dominate our lives instead. But these songs of lament are meant to move us from, from the sorrow and the complaint to, once again, confidence in our God. And, and the lament is the language for that transition where we once again choose to trust in God in the midst of the sorrow and the heartache. Now, most psalms of lament, most biblical laments, they follow a pattern, if you study those 50 or so psalms, you can, you can pick out this pattern. They have three key elements or three repeating elements. First, they begin with a, an address to God or you, you bring your complaint to God. Then there is a request. You ask God. And then third and finally, there's an expression of trust or praise. So if you want to remember that, I do have an acronym, acronym for it. It's simple. Um, I'm not making any connection between the word and, and what lament is, but it's cat. The word cat. So C, complaint. A, ask. And T, trust. Be simple to remember. So complaint, ask, and trust. Now Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. And this morning, we just want to simply observe those patterns as we walk through this psalm. So David begins by turning to God. He pours out his complaint to God. And he's honest about his pain. Verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David, the man after God's own heart, the greatest king of God's people in the Old Testament, he feels abandoned by God. He could not see 
how God was helping him. And so he felt like God did not care about him. That was deep and personal pain. David felt abandoned. He felt deep sorrow. And he felt weary. How long? Four times. How long? How long? How long? He is weary. How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? So day after day after day, all day long, this is his experience. He felt frustrated and defeated. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? These are common human feelings for the people of God. Many of you have felt this way at times in your life. Perhaps even today, this expresses the cry of your heart. Now, as we consider this psalm and you look into the history of it, we don't really know the exact context for what David was going through when he wrote this psalm. And I actually find that encouraging in one way. So we don't know if it's when David is running from Saul. You know, Saul was pursuing David to try to kill him. So he was, he was literally on the run for his life. We don't know if it was during that time or perhaps when the Philistines were trying to destroy God's people. So the enemies of God's people were trying to destroy the nation that David was leading. We don't know if it was during one of those battles or maybe during his own family turmoil. If you know the story of David, you know that there was great pain and sorrow in the midst of his own family. Perhaps it was the rebellion of his own son, Absalom. So we're not sure what the case was. But even for David, again, the man after God's own heart, these times of sorrow and struggle were common throughout his life. We might even say constant. And so, beloved, it should not surprise you if you feel like this at times in your life or if you feel like this often in your life. But we turn to the psalm this morning and we can learn what to do when we feel like David felt here. The Psalms of Lament help us put into words what we feel. They give us the freedom to be honest about our feelings, to be honest about the circumstances of our lives. But this is hard. It's hard for us, isn't it? Maybe perhaps especially if you've, if you've grown up in the church most of your life. Or if you grew up in a family where you didn't talk about your feelings. Because we think, we may think, that to express our feelings in this way would be a betrayal of our faith. When in reality, it's an expression of our faith. It's a way that we turn to God. In Psalm 39, another psalm that David had written, he said that he would guard his mouth with a, a muzzle. But then when he kept silent, he says that his distress only grew worse. When he kept it in, it just got worse. So stuffing our feelings or living in denial of how we feel, it doesn't, it doesn't help. We need to learn to be honest with God about our pain. And maybe all that we can say is, how long, O Lord? Maybe that's, maybe you can't even utter the words out loud. You can only think them in your head. The pain is so deep. But even that desperate cry, it's an expression of, expression of faith. And it can help you in your time of need. Life is hard. There's deep pain and things don't make sense. And there are people here today who are crying along with David. And beloved, if it's not you today, someday it will be. And I don't say that to discourage you. I don't say that to be a pessimist. 
But I say that to simply acknowledge the reality of this world that we live in. It's a world that is broken by sin. And I also want to communicate that to you as your pastor, as, as we talk as a family, so that we will learn to care for one another, to be compassionate towards one another, to bear one another's burdens, to reach out to those who are in these seasons of lament and to listen. And sometimes that's the best way we can help is just to sit with them and to listen or maybe just sit with them in silence. Not heap shame or guilt upon them, not respond in self-righteous judgment as people go through hard times, but humble compassion. The mercy and grace of our gentle and lowly Savior, Jesus Christ. David pours out his complaint to God. Four times in these first two verses. How long? How long? How long? How long? We must learn to wait on God. That, that waiting, it's a, it's a normal part of the Christian life. It's necessary, it's good, but it's hard. So there is a, another con- more contemporary song. I think the title is Always. I didn't look it up. Uh, but the, the chorus goes like this. It's, it's singing out to God, Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. Amen? Now, yes, we can say amen to that. And also acknowledge there are times when it really doesn't feel like that. It really doesn't look like that. We know, we know it's true that God will not delay, right? Especially as Presbyterians, we study our doctrine and we know God is sovereign. And we know that he has perfect wisdom and he has perfect love. So we know his timing's perfect. He can do no wrong. We know that is true. And yet, there are times when from our perspective, it really feels like he's delaying. He is not there when we need him. That's what it feels like. And David, and this is the word of God, the inspired word of God. This is what David's saying. I know that's true, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like it. And he's honestly pouring out his complaint to God. He starts there. He starts with his feelings, what he sees. He's honest about it, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stay there. So he moves to that second step. He asks boldly. He brings his request to God. He cries out to God for help in verse 3 and 4. David takes his focus off of himself and his feelings, and he turns his thoughts and attention to God. So verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So here David acknowledges God is the giver of his life. He's the sustainer of his life. He cannot live without God. And his prayer is directly related to the sorrow that he was feeling that he has already expressed in verses 1 and 2. So he says, you know, he has said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And now he says, consider me. So it's the opposite of forgetting. 
Consider me, Lord. Look, pay attention. I need you. And then answer me. How long will you hide your face from me? No, Lord, answer me. The opposite of hiding the face. Do something. David is pleading with his God for help. Light up my eyes. Now here he's asking for very practical help. He's asking for physical and emotional rejuvenation. The same word for for that verb, for light up my eyes, it's used in 1 Samuel 14. David's good friend Jonathan was weary. He was physically exhausted from chasing the enemies of God's people. And he dips his staff in some wild honey and he eats it. And the scriptures say that his eyes became bright. And it's that same verb, lift up my eyes. It wasn't that Jonathan had some miraculous glow about him or that some miracle had happened. No, his, his face was simply giving the evidence of that renewed energy and strength that came from eating, from the sugar and the honey. And so, beloved, there are times when the most helpful thing you may do is eat a good meal or have a good night's sleep or get some exercise. We are embodied souls. You know, what we do with our bodies matters. And David is acknowledging this. Light up my eyes. I am, I'm physically exhausted. The pain that we feel, the sorrow we feel in our hearts affects our bodies. It can even make us sick. And so David is acknowledging this as well. He's bringing all of his need to God. So in our seasons of lament, whatever may be the reason or cause for them, there's times when we will be physically exhausted and we may simply need to ask God to give us the physical, the emotional strength and energy that we need to make it one day or even one moment at a time. David is acknowledging this and he, he's praying knowing he is desperate for God. He will not make it. He cannot make it unless God helps him. Now look with me again at verse 3. I want us to consider something that really is key to David's prayer and to our prayers as well. It's key to David's trust and his hope in this time of despair. And it's this. Who is he praying to? O Lord. He begins, O Lord, in in verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord. And, And you see that in your Bibles. It's in all capital letters. And remember, that's the covenant name for God, Yahweh. So he's going to his covenant God, Yahweh. But it's not just, O Lord, O Lord, my God. That personal pronoun, one of the most important, even though it's one of the smallest words in this psalm. O Lord, my God. This God, the one true God, Yahweh is David's God who made and keeps his covenant yes with his people but also with the individual with David oh lord my god remember that beloved this god is your god he is for his people and he is for you we pray the lord's prayer together here each sunday And it begins with that preface, our Father, who art in heaven. 
the Westminster Shorter Catechism has a great little question. What does the preface to the Lord's Prayer teach us? It's important, right? You don't, it doesn't, don't overlook anything. What does that preface teach us? And here's the answer. The preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father, which art in heaven, teaches us to draw near to God with all holy reverence. Yes, we, we fall down in awe before Yahweh, our covenant God, with all holy reverence and confidence. Colin prayed earlier that we may need confidence to come, but we have this confidence, all holy reverence and confidence as children to a father. Not just as children to a father, but children to a father, a father who is able. Yes, we know he's able to help us. He is the almighty God. He's all powerful, but not just able, able and ready. Or we might say eager. He's able and ready to help us. Beloved, when you pray a prayer of lament, when you ask boldly, remember who you are praying to. You're praying to your father in heaven. And you are his beloved child. His ear is attentive to your cry. He will hear. And he will act. So David has poured out his complaint to God. He asks boldly. And now finally we see that he trusts in God. Verse 5 and 6. And some have said that this trust in God is an active patience. An active patience, right? When you're trying to be patient, you feel like, oh, I've got to sit still and not do anything. But this is an active patience. So it looks like talking to God. Yes, you are waiting, but you are active. You are talking to God. You're honestly expressing your painful complaints. You are seeking God's help. And then you're recommitting yourself to trust in who God is and what he has done, even as the trial continues. Not only if it ends, but even as it continues. David chooses to trust in God as he sings this song of lament. And he makes three trust-laden statements to close out the psalm. And each one is rooted in the character of God. This, this shift or this turn to trust in God, it starts with another very small word. Probably one of the other most important words in this psalm. Verse 5 begins with the word, but... And Psalms of Lament, and throughout the scriptures, that word but marks a critical and consistent turn toward trust. So it's, it's not merely a statement of faith. It's not just a, a belief that we can give assent to. It is trusting despite what our present circumstances might lead us to believe. So those words like but or yet, they mark this intentional shift from the cause of the lament to trusting in who God is and what he has done and in the promises of scripture. So let me give you one example. This one is not from a psalm of lament, but it's a familiar one for the people of God from Lamentations chapter 3. The prophet cries out, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but... But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
the reason the reason it's sometimes a little hard for me to think about that but and that promise is that's the passage that I read eight years ago this past week at the funeral of our precious son Anthony and so a song of lament and, and in eight years and there have been other laments before and after but in eight years, I still have not learned to lament as I need to. So I need this as much as you do. But this is what David does. In Psalm 13, 5, he begins with this, but. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. And I love this definition of God's steadfast love. God's steadfast love is his covenantal insistence on delivering his people. Isn't that a beautiful description his covenantal insistence do you ever think about your father in heaven in that way he insists on delivering his people so when it comes to delivering you through your adversities and bringing you to your eternal home he won't take no for an answer it's not even a possibility he insists he will love his people always but I have trusted in your steadfast love. And beloved, if David, think about this. If David, hundreds of years before Jesus came, if he can find hope and trust in God in the midst of his despair, how much more can we, God's people today? See, David saw, yes, he did know God's steadfast love. He knew it in promises, promises to come. He knew it in past acts of deliverance. He could look back and think, man, God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt, a great exodus. So David knew it. And yet today, we see God's steadfast love more clearly, more powerfully today than David did. We have greater revelation. We have the greatest display of God's covenant love and his greatest climactic act of deliverance in the person of his own son. David had the promise. We look back to the reality. And that is great encouragement for us today. Jesus Christ is steadfast love embodied in not just an event, but in a person. God himself in the flesh. So beloved, you can entrust yourself to this pledged love of God, his steadfast love, his covenantal insistence. And you can turn your attention, like David, not to the quality of your faith. Not to the strength of your faith today, but to its object, to your strong Savior, Jesus Christ, and to its outcome, eternal life. And you can most confidently have every guarantee of enjoying both the object and the outcome of your faith forever. Now this month, our song of thanksgiving is, I'm pretty sure it's, I hear the words of love. And we alternate weeks, so this week we're on the prayer of thanksgiving. But when we sing that song, we sing these words. I change, he changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. There's such great hope in those words. It's his love and his truth that is holding us. You know, it takes faith to trust in God's steadfast love when circumstances are hard. But this is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to trust in who God is, 
what he has said, what he has done. It's to act and it's to rest on what we know to be true about Jesus. Think about it. This is how we came to faith, right? We came to believe that the Bible is true. That it had words of life. We trusted in it. We believed the promises that forgiveness is promised. We believed all are welcome, including me, when we repent and trust in Christ. We believe that promise was offered to us. We trusted that God's grace would then welcome us into his family. That it would cause us to be born again, to take us out of death into life, out of darkness into light. But that was only the beginning. It wasn't a one-time event. It wasn't the end. We don't leave trusting God after we come to faith. Remember, we remain needy every day of our lives until Jesus comes again. And so we walk through faith in continual trust. Beloved, in lament, you make this trust personal. I have trusted in your steadfast love. And you could just pray that same phrase. And again, maybe that's all you can do. I will trust in your steadfast love. Or, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. If that's all you can say, then that's what you say. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That night, eight years ago, when I was laying in the hospital, all I could say was, the Lord gave. The Lord gave. The Lord gave. Is all I could say over and over and over again. It took me years to be able to say, and the Lord took away, and to trust him. Maybe you just repeat those phrases over and over. Or maybe you rehearse his steadfast love and his faithfulness to you personally. Remember our psalm of praise. Those are psalms of orientation, right? They're happy songs without trouble in view because we need them. We need that foundation to strengthen us for when the lament comes. So, and I said, here's a great question to ask after service. How has the Lord been good to you? And beloved, you need to take note of those times. I'm terrible at journaling. I never do it. But maybe we got to do something to remember, right? So maybe I need to write it down. But you rehearse, how has God been faithful to you? And you think about that and you talk about it with your children. You talk about it with your brothers and sisters here at Proclamation so that you remember, you rehearse Yes, I I read God's record of faithfulness in the word. I see it most clearly in his son, Jesus Christ. But he's still faithful today, amen? And he's been faithful to you. How? Think about those stories. Rehearse them in your mind. What specific ways has he poured out his love upon you? Or maybe you rehearse the gospel. Specific promises from God's word. That's why meditation on the word of God and memorization of the word, word of God is such a gift. From God to his people. It might be hard. Harder for some than others. But it's not a chore. It's a gift. And it yields. Great fruit. In the lives of the believers. So here's one. Maybe maybe First Peter chapter 1. Is a great passage. For you to meditate on. And try to put it in your heart. And your mind. And it begins. Blessed be the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So maybe you take a promise like that and you just run that through your mind when your heart is breaking in the affliction you are facing and you say, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And you think about that, the tested genuineness of your faith, this, this trial that you're going through, it is going to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Beloved, that is a precious promise. Rehearse that in your mind. But you know, choosing to trust means we, we must reinforce in our minds what we know to be true. We hear lies all the time. You know where we hear them most? From ourselves. From ourselves. Remember? Don't be mad at me. Remember last week, no one talks to you more than you. We need to speak the truth to ourselves. And here's where we find it. God's given it to us, but we must think about it. We must reinforce it. What we know to be true. And the prayers of lament are designed to do that, to remind us God is worthy to be trusted. Even in the hard times, David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. And then he moves on to the second, second affirmation. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Now suffering, when we suffer, it does not mean God has forgotten or rejected his people. It might feel like that, but that is not true. Our feelings are real. We need to deal with them, but they don't always tell us the truth. And so they're not always to be obeyed. Just don't do what you feel like. But suffering doesn't mean God has forgotten us or he has rejected us. The long arc of God's plan of salvation is always at work, even if we can't see the trajectory. We can't see where it's going. See, David has not yet experienced the salvation that he's trusting in. But he knows it's coming. He knows there's a future glory. And beloved, remember, we have seen it in ways that David hadn't. We have already experienced it, but not yet fully. So choosing to trust through lament requires that we rejoice without knowing how all the dots connect. We trust not seeing the picture, not knowing how all the painful circumstances of our lives will indeed work out for God's glory and our good. But we know that to be true. And we let God be the interpreter. We trust in him. We know the ultimate lament cry was not spoken by us, but by God himself. When Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the greatest cry of lament the world ever heard, and it led to the greatest redemption we could ever imagine. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And then David's third affirmation, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
David is remembering God's generosity. Beloved, you can trust that your God will indeed work things out in the very best way possible for you because your God is a generous God. There is no stinginess in him at all. Only generosity. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And what a gift that is, that we get to be God's people, enjoying his presence with one another in full sight of the glory of our Savior forever. That is God's pleasure to give that to you. So this basic idea of, the basic idea of bountifully is completeness. No lack. There's, there's no more good thing the Lord could give you. He, he's opened it up and poured out all his goodness upon you, not holding anything back. He's granted all your desire. So in our eternal home, Think of it, beloved, in our eternal home, when we, God's people, enjoy God's kingdom in his presence of glory forever, there will be no disappointment and there will be no lament. There also will be no end to the joy. The joy will never end. There'll be no doubting. You will no longer have to choose to trust. Your faith will be made perfect. It won't be hard. You will see your Savior face to face. There'll be no doubting. There'll be no trusting, hoping in what we have not seen. For our faith will be made perfect. But until that great day comes, for just a little while, a little while longer, we choose to trust. Even in our seasons of lament, and in fact, lament helps us trust. So beloved, are you choosing to trust today? That will look different for each one of us. Some days, for some, it will sound like confident statements regarding what you know to be true about God as you meditate on his character. You might say, God, you are great. I don't have to be in control. I rest in you. God, you are great. I don't have to be in control. I will trust you because I know you are in control and you are wiser than me. You know all things. Some days it might look like that. Other days, it simply means rehearsing those promises in God's word. And lament give you the words to say. If you have no words, use God's words. They're gifts to you. The one for me over the last eight years has been Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Every day, he will bear me up. And he, the covenant God, is my salvation. David ends by saying, I will sing to the Lord. Praise thou bountifully with me. So lament prayers will often end in singing. And so, beloved, singing is such a gift from God. You might end by quietly singing or maybe listening to a song that captures what is true as it will turn, it will, it will tune your heart. It really will. It will tune your heart towards belief. So when you are battling lies in your mind, and it's a battle, when you're battling lies in your mind or sorrow in your heart, there's great power in singing. In the Psalms, the hymn book that God has given us, and these wonderful hymns that have been written by God's people throughout the ages, there's great power to influence our emotions 
We sang Afflicted Saint today. And, and think about the chorus. So sing with joy, afflicted one. What a paradox. Sing with joy. The affliction's not gone. While you are afflicted, sing with joy. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. Life is hard. It's filled with pain. But Jesus entered into our suffering. He knows our pain. He bore our sin and our sorrow in his body on the tree. He was crucified. He was buried. He was risen. He's ascended. He'll come again. The battle's fierce, but the victory is won. And God shall supply all your need. He's not going to tie your hands behind your back. He's going to supply all your need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. You know, Psalm 13 does not give us any indication at all that David's present circumstances changed. But by the end, his perspective has changed. He's poured out his complaint to God. He's brought his request to God. And now he's choosing to trust in his God. He's taken his focus off of himself and his problems, and he's placed them on Yahweh, his covenant-keeping God, on his character, his promises. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So David is certain that he will rejoice in God's salvation. And beloved, you can be too. Again, we're not the only ones to sing these songs of lament. See them. See them as spoken by and sung by your Savior. Jesus, a faithful Israelite, his parents would have taught him to sing these songs as a child. And we hear him cry out on the cross, as I mentioned just a moment ago from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus willingly took on all the sin of his people, all your sin, all my sin, as he drank the full cup of God's wrath for our sin and our place. And he endured that shame as his enemies did exalt over him. They rejoiced at his death as he slept the sleep of death. It looked like they had prevailed over him. They rejoiced because he was shaken. He was dead in the grave. But Jesus also trusted in his father's promise. In his covenant, in his steadfast love. And Jesus rejoiced in his salvation. And God raised him from the dead and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven or on earth or under the earth. And beloved, if you today bow your knee to him now, you will know the joy of his salvation. Where you will receive his generous love, not according to your deservings, but according to his bountiful grace so today beloved may we rejoice may we exalt in proportion to the great salvation that we have received amen and today beloved afflicted saints if you can't if you can't rejoice in proportion to that great salvation know that one day you will he will enable you one day you will, and today, find comfort in the character and in the promises of your God. He knows. He remembers you. He has not forgotten you. And he insists. God himself will carry you through. He will bring you safely home. He will wipe away every 
tear. He will make all things new. And he is not ashamed of you. And he is not disappointed in you. He is delighted in you, his child. He is joyfully carrying you in his arms. He's the father of compassion. The God of all comfort. And he is working all things together for your salvation. Even the ones that make you cry out today. How long, O Lord? Amen. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And bring us home where we belong.